Welcome to Interactions with Reality Podcast number 17. I uh, am not sure exactly what to make this podcast about. I've had several ideas um, as for this particular show. Um, It's interesting, like, one concept that has been coming up lately, and this is something that I've, I've found that rings true a lot, is that if you have something that's causing you to suffer, then the way to get around that is to pursue it in a way. Like, there, of course, there's exceptions to this and stuff. But, um, for instance, if you get cold and you bundle up you're running from the cold. Now, it's not that bundling up won't keep you warm. It's not that bundling up is a bad idea. It's just that if cold is your your enemy, so to speak, you're treating it as an enemy. Uh, for one, you're you're judging it as being cold. It's a it's a judgment call. Some people in let's say Florida would judge sixty degree weather to be cold and because they made that judgment it's cold for them for real it's very cold for them whereas somebody coming in from another state might be like 60 degrees this is fine and they'll be out in a t-shirt in the same weather that uh the next person is bundled up for now if you go to alaska for example you might find that people think that 32 degrees is comfortable and that it maybe it's even warm to them. Uh, it's it's different per location based on a person's conditioning. So if you're cold, sometimes the best thing to do, especially if you're cold and you're you you've got clothes on and you've you've basically you've already bundled up and all that sort of thing. Sometimes the way to get warm is to take off all the bundling, strip down, and then put it all back on. And because you went toward the cold, it goes away from you. And for whatever reason, when you put it back on, then all of a sudden you're way warm. And it's it's an interesting concept. You could try it out. Um, and you can also do cold showers and things like that and different cold conditioning where you go toward it knowing that it's not, it's not going to kill you. I mean, it can kill you, but... You know, if you're doing limited exposure in a controlled environment and you have a way to get warm afterwards, it's not going to kill you. Probably not going to kill you. Otherwise, why would people do cryotherapy? Why would people do ice baths? You know, why why would so many athletes choose that path? And yet, there's some benefit to it. There's some, some strong benefit to it. And, and cold can actually be beneficial. Now, let's take it to another another side of things relationships. Let's say you have a disagreement with somebody on something and now these days um, people have been so warped in how to deal with conflict that that some of these ideas um, are maybe more uh, for a rational society. <laughs> But uh, but if you can have 
let's say, somebody that you completely disagree with. They're on a completely opposite end of the spectrum or whatever. And if you can sit down and have a conversation with that person, you guys might be able to work through something and in the end end up being friends even if you disagree. Now, there are... There's a tendency these days to just, if you disagree with somebody, to completely dismiss them. And I've had that happen where it's like, you know, there was a person at work um, several years back that had a different view on a particular topic than I did. And so I started questioning. I was like, okay, well, let's explore your view and let's test it. You know, you're saying these things are true. Let's Let's weigh them out. Let's actually look at the data, look at the real evidence and see if what you're saying is true or if it's false, you know, like, let's go there. No problem, right? They said that it almost physically made them sick to even consider thinking about it. Now, if that's the case, there's no point in having a discussion. It's an emotional belief. It's not based in reason and facts. It's not based in anything except for that person's emotions. So, you just got to understand, okay, there are times and places to leave things alone. But if you have a rational, reasonable person who's willing to discuss things and really willing to actually have a honest conversation, sometimes pursuing that difficult conversation is the fastest way to having a better relationship with that same person. Uh, whereas avoiding the conversation leaves about a bunch of animosity between the two people and, and there's no resolution. It's just, you know, when one side of the conversation gets shut down, that's not going to build relationship. No, that just shuts down one side of the conversation. That shuts down relationship. It's running from the problem. And there are plenty of people that are going to run from the problem rather than have the hard discussion that's going to bring relationship and unity and understanding and wisdom and all these other things that people want but they aren't willing to do the hard work to get just like they aren't willing to pursue cold to get away from cold you know and, and that's a it's a common theme you know uh, you can go apply this to a bunch of different scenarios in your mind or in practice see how it plays out um, obviously there are areas where this can be a problem you know but you know play around with it philosophically play around with it in your mind see what you think um see if it doesn't ring true for you too you know see it in practice you know for instance you might like fast food and unhealthy food and you might only like unhealthy food and the idea of healthy food or the practice of eating healthy food is repulsive to you but if you pursue it for like two weeks, your taste buds start to change. Your taste buds start to change and next thing you know, you like healthy food. It's it's bizarre how it happens. There is a transition period and that transition period is often uncomfortable. The point is, pursue what is uncomfortable to you and, and uh, you know, it'll run from you. And if you run from what is uncomfortable to you, it'll pursue you. That's that's a general concept that seems to be true in a wide variety of situations. Obviously, you're thinking people out there, so 
think about it, you know, be, be wise. Don't, don't just use it as an excuse for crime or whatever else. All right, moving on. Today I was up on the roof and I was patching it and, uh, there's a couple holes in the roof. I was looking out though over the land and I'm thinking that the roof is probably going to be my hunting spot for this next season. Um, season isn't till toward the end of the year, but from the roof, I can get a really clean, clear shot from, for like a, a pretty wide area. And that area is going to be planted up with all kinds of stuff that should bring the deer in. And, uh, this should translate into a freezer full of food for my family that should hopefully last through the majority of 2022. And that's exciting because, you know, not having to go to the, the store and get some cattle that's been... Who knows what they did to that cow before it got to there, you know? I mean, some cows are treated really well. I know in a lot of the southern states, the cows get to actually eat grass, and they actually get to free range, and they actually... But I went out to, where was it? Maybe New Mexico, or uh, Arizona, maybe, or somewhere somewhere over there, maybe West Texas. It was somewhere in that ballpark, in that general area. And there were several miles along the highway where you could just smell the, the cow dung. And it was disgusting. And they had billboards up for steak. And it's like, yeah, this doesn't make me want steak. This this is disgusting. And and then you come upon the just miles and miles of of lots of cows that there's no grass, not a single thing green in the entire pen. These cows are all just crammed in there. It's not a good scene for the cows. It's it's quite disgusting really. It's uh anyway point is I don't want to buy meat that comes from places like that because they're obviously abusing the animals and they're obviously in it for profit only and they're obviously don't really care about the quality or anything else um, beyond you know what will the consumer put up with and uh, yeah I'm not into that I don't, I don't think that's a good idea so I like the idea of shooting deer that I know have been roaming around the woods eating mostly natural things, although I know I, I do recognize that a lot of these deer are eating deer corn at various feeders because hunters are you know, prevalent in this area. This area is uh, well known in the nation for hunting and you know it's uh, one of our major industries in this area. Um, the deer are like rats <laughs> in a way. It's like there's so many of them. And, you know, you drive through down the highway in the winter and you might count five or six dead deer that got hit, uh, you know, by cars literally between like a 15-mile stretch of road. <laughs> and it's just like if there's that many deer and it's that much of a problem, Maybe hunting them is not a bad idea, and it's not going to be hurting the population. It's not going to be hurting nature. It's just you you harvest meat in a clean way. You're getting more or less organic meat, and you know that the animal hasn't been abused. In fact, the animal's been having the time of their life all along. And it's it's just a way more ethical um, situation for meat than 
the one we're currently using, which is buying meat from the grocery store, not knowing where exactly it comes from and not knowing what all they did to it before it got to you. It's, uh, and that, in my mind, that's way less ethical. So, uh, maybe next year we will be meat independent. We'll see. Um, we'll see how that goes. I also may explore raising chickens for meat. Um, I've got to get a bulldozer in here though to plow down some area and I want to make a, a rather large chicken coop that I'd like to make one where it produces a lot of the food that the chickens eat. Because if you have to, you know, a lot of people are all into sustainability and if the, you know, if the zombie apocalypse happens or whatever doomsday thing it is that they're saying, you know, they want to be self-sufficient, right? So they get these chickens, but then once a week or once a month or whatever, they go to the local feed store and they purchase bags of grain to feed these chickens. And if you're going out to buy food for your animals, that's helping you be, you know, basically emergency proof, then you're not emergency proof. Because if that supply line shuts down, you're just out of luck. And that's that, you know, there's, uh, I think I think that's um, a big flaw in the what do they call them the preppers mentality. There's a lot of preppers out there that want to keep chickens, but they aren't they aren't providing food for them. So here are some ideas I have for that. And one is um, kind of like you would do like a pasture rotation for cows, where you have them graze one pasture and then you move them into the next pasture down. And you allow the first pasture to rest and regrow and regain. And then, you know, by the time the cows get back around to that pasture, then it's, you know, everything's back to normal. Now, there's a, a farm, polyface farm, and they run chickens after the cows because the chickens help break up the cow dung and, and stuff like that. They help it get deeper into the, the soil. And they have a really good method. They It's worth checking out. It's worth looking into. Um Joe somebody starts with an S uh, is the name of the guy that runs that or something like that. So anyway, one of the things I want to do, um, because I don't plan on running cows, I, I have zero intention of running cows at this point in time. Not to say I won't in the future, just not right now. Um, but basically, you put maybe two logs four by fours whatever it is that you have on hand and you put them maybe a foot or two apart three foot apart whatever and you put chicken wire across them so basically you have a situation where there's raised chicken wire just a little bit off the ground and you plant all in that now the chickens like to scratch and peck now they come in they like to eat greens and they eat all kinds of greens um but they also destroy the land when you where you have the greens so unless you have a significant amount of greens you, you know, your your chickens will scratch and peck until all you have left is, is like dusty soil and that's that. They'll shred everything down to the ground. Um, so you want to basically prevent them from doing that while giving them access to the greens. So that way, if you have it like a foot apart or so and you have like these rows of greens growing, anything that pokes through the chicken wire, they can, they can grab, you know, and... They're, they're smart enough to figure out that it'll hurt them to try to scratch it. So they're not going to try that. But they will come and they'll eat it. And uh, so that's one method that I want to try. 
Another method is I want to do like some kind of nighttime bug catching deal where it's like uh, maybe like a, uh, a light on a white sheet and brings in all the bugs. But then every 15 minutes or so, there's like some jet of water that knocks all the bugs out of the sky into a like a kiddie pool or something like that to where they're going to die. And then you can harvest those every morning or something to feed the chickens. That's one option. Um, another option that's more common, and they actually make uh, uh, these black soldier fly larva harvesting devices. And you can buy them. They're on the market right now. And I have no idea what they go for. But basically, black soldier fly, they lay their larvae. When their larvas, I believe, are about to like change back into flies, they start climbing up. They want to climb up. So there's a little ramp up this thing, or two ramps or whatever. And so these bugs, or these larvae climb up, and they climb out this little tube, and then the gravity takes over, they fall to the ground, and the chickens gobble them up. So I've seen those, I've seen them in operation, they work, they work well, and so that's another option. A third option, worms. I, I think that raising a significant amount of worms <clears throat> could be beneficial to raising chickens, however... Worms go for like 30 bucks a pound, I think. Maybe the last time I checked, it was something around the, that ballpark. And if you've got something that's $30 a pound, you really want to feed it to your chickens. That's what I've heard people use, the argument I've heard people use in the past. And really, 30 who, who cares what money you get from them? If the idea is to be self-sufficient and you can raise worms in a quantity that's going to benefit your chickens and make it so you don't have to buy feed then sure, maybe give them that $30 a pound food, you know? I mean, if you could sell the worms too, great. You could probably make a situation where you had enough to do both, you know? I think that's very reasonable to think that you could you could have enough worms to do both. So, uh, also, isopods. Isopods is another method that I thought about for maybe feeding the chickens, and I raised them along with worms, Worms like uh, wood pulp and leaves and things like that. Isopods like wood pulp and leaves and things like that. Um, and so I've been raising them together and it works relatively well. Um, I do find that I, as the, as everything gets digested and eat, you have to keep up with adding your, your leaves and adding your wood chips because those things really just disappear. Like worms can eat their weight every day and I have no idea about isopods as far as that goes, but... But anyway, the thing with isopods is isopods, they don't, I think it's like heavy metals, they don't actually dispel the heavy metals. They just store them until they die because their life spans are so short that they, it's, it's easier for them to just store the toxins. So because they, they bioaccumulate um, maybe heavy metals or whatever it is that they're eating that's not good, um, that doesn't make them the ideal candidate unless you have a clean breeding situation where that stuff's not being introduced in the first place. And if so, great. You know you can feed your isopods to your chickens. They breed relatively fast, and I find I find uh, that they, they would probably make a really good chicken food and stuff like that. Now, I haven't tested it. I haven't played around with it. Maybe the chickens don't even like them. Um, 
I haven't raised chickens in a number of years, so, you know, hard to say. But I do intend to test this out at some point in the future. And if they do like them and if they do eat them, I'll probably make a podcast about it. Um, but, yeah, so that's uh, some of my ideas for chickens and chicken feed. Um, other other ideas include chick- uh, crickets, roaches, and other, other items like that. Um, maybe even crawfish or something along those lines. I did, I did try feeding crawfish to my, uh, chickens one time and they ate them up. So if you can get a good breeding situation for the food, I think that's ideal. And I think that's something that I really want to play around with here in the next year or two. Um, so that's, uh, that's that it's 20 minutes in. So I'm going to end it here, but That's my ramblings for the night. Have a great day, everyone. Or night, or whatever.